0: today's episode of the duke basketball report podcast are brought to you by the boys of bird campbell pa your duke-centric law firm lawyers by vocation but duke grads by the grace of god tucker bird and jamie campbell say go duke or go home Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 107 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording on Monday, February 19th. Happy President's Day to those of you who celebrated and got the day off like I did. Uh, and I am your host this week. I am Donald Wine coming to you, uh, as I usually do, from my home in Washington, D.C. I have my other partners in crime here with me. First off, in Denver, I have Sam Klein. Sam, what's up?
1: I did not have the day off today, and I uh, was struggling through work because I was at a bachelor party this weekend in New Orleans for uh, one of my longtime friends, and uh, we had a good time. I won't tell you every little thing that happened, but I will tell you that uh, on Saturday night, Saturday night? Saturday night, we were at a bar, and, uh, and Woody Harrelson came in, and uh, so we all met Woody Harrelson at the bar in New Orleans, and that was really cool.
0: That's actually pretty cool. Did you have a hand grenade? Uh,
1: I had no hand grenades. I have been to New Orleans once before, and I learned my lesson about the sugary drinks. So I entirely avoided all the things that come in plastic cups, like the the hurricanes and the hand grenades and all that silly stuff. Um, And my body is thanking me for it, at least in a small part today, Ah. because I, I made those very mature decisions.
0: At a boy, that's how you do it. You did New Orleans correctly. I'm sure you ate some good food too. Yes, but, yes, uh, yes. We had an. Oh, okay.
2: Sorry. <laughs> so what
0: happened there? What? Happened? Hey, hey, Jason. Not clear. <laughs> I don't know what's
2: happening. But Jason Evans is here too. He's in Atlanta. Jason, say hi to the people. So the funny thing is, I was kind of waiting for you guys to stop because I was going to go. Sam's talking about New Orleans. All I can think of are beignets because beignets are like new orleans cafe du Mall. i mean like it's the best dessert that mankind has ever invented and i'm sort of waiting for you guys to in, reach the end of your thought and nothing happened <laughs> we both just kind of reached the end of the thought I, the same I,
1: I did eat approximately four beignets so four,
2: four dozen or f- just four just just
1: four but but i i i made sure to like you know, reapply the powdered sugar to them. So I I really feel like I got plenty of beignet.
2: There you You go. It's, it's almost worth hanging out in cafe Dumont in the winter time and waiting for someone with a cold to come in and sneeze because you can just see the, the powdered sugar, it goes everywhere.
0: That sounds, that sounds awful. (laughs) That is
1: awful. (laughs) awful.
0: (laughs) Oh, do not do that. Okay. Let's get into some basketball. We have a really packed show for you tonight. Uh, Let's start with the most recent game. Uh, yesterday on Sunday, uh, Duke traveled to Little John Coliseum in Clemson, South Carolina to take on the Tigers. And after a really back and forth affair, uh, they emerged victorious. Sixty six, fifty seven. It was really weird. It was fifty seven, fifty seven with a minute thirty left. And we ended up winning by nine, which is a great story. Uh, Sam, I'm going to start with you. Uh, give me your quick takes of how that game went to you and what you saw.
1: So I actually, this is good. I just finished watching the Clemson game about 20 minutes ago because, as I said, I was away for the weekend, did not have uh, access to the TV while I was out and about with my friends on Sunday. So um, I, I, I will say uh, a few really important things about the Clemson game. Number one, um, Clemson is a very strong team. We talked about that in the um, in the preview. Um, the, the The defensive performance that Duke put on in Little John was arguably their best of the season. They held Clemson to only 57 points, um, and I especially wanted to highlight Grayson Allen, who was probably as aggressive, if not more aggressive, than he's been all year um, on both the offensive and defensive ends. I know that in the second half, he he missed some shots, but I think that this was one of his most complete games of the season, and he was rewarded as such with a with a national player of the week honor, including, and and an ACC player of the week honor. Um, And, and, and I, you know, in particular, I thought that his contributions on the defensive end were really strong to that end. I thought that the entire team on defense played really well. Duke basically stayed in a zone the entire game uh, against the tigers. And it, it seemed to work really well, uh, especially when they were able to get back quickly from the made shots and, and, pressure Clemson a lot. This is something that Clemson has done successfully against Duke in recent years. And uh, it was cool to see the blue devils kind of turn the tables on them. Um, They got a bunch of steals in the half court and in the back court um, that that led to easy baskets. So I think that those were the most important things that, and I want Jason to react first. And then I kind of want to um, sort of get into the, to the Marvin Bagley discussion and how the team has changed a little bit in his absence. And I think it does center around Grayson Allen, but I do want to hear Uh, Jason's thoughts on that Clemson game because he actually I think among the three of us was the only one that got to watch it without knowing the outcome before he finished watching the game right Jason
2: that is correct and you know it's so interesting that you say you want to talk about how the team has changed um because there there are two really significant things that have changed about Duke in the past three games one is as you mentioned Marvin Bagley is uh is not playing um uh, we hope, we expect, we think he will be back very, very, very soon, perhaps um, perhaps even the Louisville game that comes up in just a couple of days. But without Marvin Bagley, it has changed Duke on offense um, and, and it's changed Grayson Allen. And we've you mentioned some of that. But the thing I really want to talk about is the other change. The other change is that Coach K, and, and we've talked about this on the podcast a good bit. I, I feel like I have sort of quietly advocated for this for a long time. Coach K has come around. Duke is a zone team now. And and it was after the Virginia Tech game that Coach K said, we played almost exclusively zone, and that's what we're going to be going forward. And and that's what happened in this Clemson game. Um, Duke, uh, guys, I think Duke has morphed into something completely new with the zone and this three-quarter court press that we put on teams. And the three-quarter court press, we got against Clemson, we got a ton of turnovers off of it. We got a bunch of steals um, uh, that led to easy baskets. Um, but the real effect of this three-quarter court press is it slows the game down. It slows opposing teams down. And so it takes them a little while to get the ball up to the front court. Lots of time they get it up in the front court with a with a forward or or a big guy who isn't, you know, initiating the offense right away. And then that big guy gets the ball to our point guard to their point guard. And suddenly they're only Twenty or fifteen seconds left in the shot clock when the team is starting to get into their offense, and they're playing against a Duke zone that um, that uh, this zone utterly confused Clemson. Duke is really long and athletic out of that zone. Uh, you guys can't see me, but right now I'm stretching my arms out and waving them around. <laughs> yeah, all, I wish we
1: all, had all, all what five and a half feet of your arms.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes, my wingspan. Um, uh, I wish we were on Skype, so you could see me. I, I can't help it when I talk about this. But uh, Duke, you know, Duke is long and athletic and quick, and we get in this zone, and teams have real trouble getting inside of it. and And we talked in the Clemson preview that Clemson is a really good team from the outside, and they did not get outside looks that they liked uh, against Duke. They took a lot of contested shots. Uh, especially when they came inside. Um, Wendell Carter is providing, I think, perhaps the best rim protection that we've seen at Duke since Sheldon Williams was landlord of the post. Um, It's just really hard to shoot over us inside or outside. I think Bolden and Delorier both do a great job of of challenging uh, shots on the perimeter. You know, they they when a guy's got a three pointer in the corner, and Bolden especially comes out there and tries to block those three corners coming up from the corner, and it forces guys to put extra arc on their shot, and it leads to lots of misses.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the the most impressive thing, surprisingly impressive thing about the zone um, sort of evolution for Duke is that they is how well the zone recovers on the perimeter. I think that occasionally. Clemson was still able to get the ball inside and, and the Duke players would be maybe a little lost, but when it came to the ball moving around in the perimeter, especially, you know, even when, when Clemson was able to like make skip passes to the other side of the court where the ball's moving across really quickly, it seems to me that Duke is able to recover really well. And, and sometimes there are a lot of times, as you mentioned, Jason Clemson likes to take those three pointers. They were taking three pointers that, you know, a second and a half before the shot was going up, you were thinking, "Oh my gosh, he like there's nobody near him." And then once the shot goes up, there's a hand in his face. That that happened a lot against Clemson, and I thought that that is um, indicative of how well Duke has taken to playing that that form of defense.
0: Our big men can close out very well a- a- in this zone. You can see that a lot more, especially uh, yesterday. I saw. I mean, I saw most of it yesterday, and I finished it up again today. But in the game, I saw a lot of Mark Cuisbold and, and Wendell Carter closing out very quickly on uh, guys in the corner and guys on the wing, which I think is very good. Because if you have that wingspan and you have that length and you have that agility to get out quickly, that helps them force a bad shot. Because if you see if you I don't care how, how tall you are, if you see a seven footer coming at you, you're going to shoot your shot a little bit higher or, or, or release it a little bit quicker and you're not going to get a good shot off. And that was, even if they weren't blocking the shot or altering it, they were making them make a bad shot, you know, from the perimeter. And we were able to go out and run. We got a lot of, uh, of transition points of that, especially Grayson Allen, uh, had a, like a layup, I believe in the first
2: half and then a dunk in the, in the second half as well on some of things on, on some of those things. So, uh, you didn't mention someone, but someone who absolutely deserves mention. If we're going to talk about what Duke did on defense, which, which is the story of the week, in my opinion. Um, you know, if you look at the scores from the two games, Duke's defense, um, Duke suddenly getting it on defense is absolutely the story of what's going on with this team. We have to talk about Javin Delorier. Yep. He, he got his first career start against Clemson. First time in his career starting. He played 30 minutes in that game and his energy, his ability to help on defense. Uh, we had one of our best, uh, Sam said you think it was our best. I, I'm not going to argue with you. I think it may have been our best defensive game of the year. And I th- think Javin Delorier playing a career high 30 minutes was a major reason for that. Now look, he still commits stupid fouls at times. He's still foul prone. And, and I love this. I still feel like Sometimes he looks like a puppy running around trying to catch a butterfly with all his energy, just like going, ah, you know, going crazy all over the place. But that energy is special. And he has a great nose for the ball. And he he gets and understands how to play defense. And that is a really, really important thing. I I, I, I can't say enough about how well I think Javin Delorier, um, you know, impacted that game considering it wasn't a huge – you know, it wasn't a huge game for him um, from a statistical standpoint. Um, and and one last thing I want to point out, and then I'll get back to you guys on it. You know, I always talk about field goal attempts. Clemson had 12 more field goal attempts than we did. I talk a lot about rebounding. Clemson had one more rebound than we did. How on earth did we win a game where we where they took 12 more shots than we did, and they had one more rebound than we did? And the answer is this Duke team has become such a good defensive team that Clemson couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. We only scored 66 points, and yet we won this game with ease, uh, you know, in terms of the final score. And, and actually, most of the second half, Duke was leading, you know, six, eight, ten points or so. Clemson made a run. They tied it up. It was exciting. But, you know, but again, Duke only scores 66 points and wins the game by nine points. Uh, that's like, uh, that's unheard of for this Duke team. Uh, are, are we slowly morphing into... Virginia light I mean I don't know about Virginia light but to kind of
0: put a bow on the Clemson game I want to ask you a question last I think it was two podcasts ago we were talking about how and and I think Sam was referring to this as well we were talking about how the big men play with each other uh, and how that was going to evolve without Bagley in the middle of that because uh, as you guys have said before the big men have been playing before Bagley got injured. They were subbing in for each other and they were playing with Bagley. And I think the evolution of those guys playing with each other and subbing in for each other, but having to play Bolden, Bolden and, and Carter, Carter and, and Delurier, Delurier and Bolden, I think that evolution has been the biggest key in how our defense has evolved. How do you think that's going to change when Bagley comes back?
2: Oh, man. It's t- it is so hard to know what this Duke team's going to be when Marvin Bagley returns because we were running everything through him, and that meant that Grayson Allen was deferring. Well, now Grayson Allen is suddenly not deferring anymore. The three games since Bagley's been out, Grayson's averaging like 21, 22 points a game. I mean, it's a, you know, it, Grayson Allen looks like the first team All American that everyone expected him to be now that Bagley isn't there. Um, and and you know I I just I just spent you know a couple minutes talking about Javin Delorier. We've been talking about Marquise Bolden making an impact on games on the defensive end. And you're absolutely right that when when we get Bagley back, those guys' minutes are going to go down significantly. I, it it's it's really interesting. It's hard to say what Duke's going to become. Ideally, you know, fingers crossed. I hope that we'll be able to. You know, it's not like Bagley is is worse than these guys at, at, at various aspects of the game. I, if anything, Marvin Bagley is certainly, certainly better on offense. <laughs> um, And, and his athleticism um, allows him to be incredibly, and his quickness um, and, uh, you know, allows him to be incredibly effective on defense, I would think, um, especially in a zone where he isn't, you know, guarding a guy and having to worry about switching and, and hedging and things like that, which I think were things that, that gave him some trouble and, you know, give a lot of Duke freshmen trouble when they play man to man. So ideally, I think we, when we integrate Bagley back in, we have a more confident and deeper bench um, because Deloria and Bolden have pl- and, and Jack White have played more and more um, and feel good about you know their their ability to contribute. And and we add in one more offensive weapon. I mean, look in in this game against Clemson, Grayson Allen carried us on offense for the first half, 17 points, and then he didn't do anything in the in the second half. In the second half, it was all Wendell Carter Jr. scored 13 points in the second half. He carried us on offense in the second half. Well, adding Bagley means those guys don't have to carry the load by themselves.
1: Yeah. And and the other interesting thing, I think, about the offense, and I, I, I'm looking for the quote and I can't find it right now, but I think it was Buzz Williams after the Virginia Tech game or, or maybe leading up to it. And and I know we'll we'll get to that game shortly. Um, said something to the effect, and it might not have been Buzz, it might have been another um, coach that, that Duke has played against this year, made a comment about how Duke's offense, when they're running it through Bagley, kind of always has the same entry motion, where they're always trying to get Bagley on the left block to take advantage of his handedness. I hope that Coach K kind of heard that and is kind of taking notes from how the offense performed the last couple of days to try to mix up what those looks are. Not that he's not aware of it, but maybe seeing it in practice, um, the, uh, you know, or, or, sorry, seeing it in the game, um, will maybe spark a little bit of evolution in the offensive game planning with Bagley back in there. Either way, Duke still had either the number one or number two offense, according to Ken Palm all season. And that's with, you know, a, against a Villanova team that also has a historically great offense, I don't think the offense is going to be the problem. Um, I do want to see the defense continue to be strong with Bagley back in um, playing back in the zone and 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 having all the players kind of still be bought into that and and still be um, contributing the way that they have with him out. Okay,
0: before we jump. Uh, ahead to the uh, preview of the games this week let's jump back in time uh, to valentine's day where we played virginia tech at home we eased away with a 74 52 victory and i want to start with you sam again sam give me your break uh, breakdown of what we did in this game and how how we how we played
1: so I need to offer a bit of an apology because in the preview last week when we talked about this Virginia Tech game I said that this was going to be a high scoring affair you had two teams with efficient offenses and not great defenses so I was thinking you know the game's going to get into the 80s at least for one team and Duke will probably win because it's at home but but it should be a sort of back and forth really fun affair Virginia Tech decided to just not make any shots in this game they only scored 52 Duke's defense was bothering them, and when they were getting open shots, they were just missing them. So, a I, I think that the big takeaway from this game was this. I think was the was the first like complete defensive performance from Duke, and that was before the Clemson game, which I think was more impressive because it was against a better team. Um, but but the defense looked great against Virginia Tech. The most important stat from that game is that. Um, Virginia Tech only grabbed three offensive rebounds the whole night, and Duke got 25 defensive boards. There's no way you're going to beat a, a, a team like Duke when you only rebound three of your 28 opportunities on on missed shots. Uh, that, that's Virginia that's, Tech did.
2: We, we, that is an unreal stat. I'm so yeah. glad you brought it up. Literally, they really got good. three offensive rebounds the entire game. Oh, it, it's. it's stunning. It's stunning to even think about three offensive rebounds in, in one game. It's like nothing. Um, And, and we destroyed them, just destroyed them on the boards. Like you said, that's a, a a huge, huge part of what happened in this game. The the other thing is, um, and, and I, I'm echoing stuff that you already talked about, but um, they were able to get the ball down to the baseline a couple times in the first half, especially against our zone but you know we figured out sort of the play that they were running there um and and once we sort of shut them off from piercing the inside of the zone they went cold at one point in the second half you know from shooting over the zone and they they got nothing that we we you know we blew them out of the building because they could not score for the longest time and duke just went down and kept on scoring because you know we were we were fairly hot from the from the perimeter and you know we we hit our three, hit almost fifty percent of our threes. Grace Allen had seven three pointers on his way to scoring twenty five points. You know uh, you mentioned Sam one thing in the preview uh, where you talked about them being a really high scoring, powerful offensive team. Um, one thing that I mentioned in the preview is that they play four small guys around one big guy, and and that I I said you know that'll that'll be one of the keys to see if they can still rebound out of that. Well, the answer was no. <laughs> Playing four smalls around one big was a disaster against Duke, and and the rebounding story I think was a, a major major part. Duke got rebounded them thirty six to nineteen. That we almost doubled them in in rebounds. Yeah, so it's not surprising Duke won this game by twenty two points. I think what's surprising is that Virginia Tech only scored fifty two points. Um, and this game was the debut to some extent of. Uh, of this Duke zone that that appears to be uh crippling to to a very Virginia Tech's that uh, the, a top 20 um Ken Palm offensive team they scored 52 points against Duke
0: yeah it looked like that and I want to go to the office a little bit we've been talking about the defense and I want to single out Grayson Allen because I think in this game it looked like he was it, it seemed like he was more uh proactive about searching for his shot and getting on, the getting on the score column very quickly. Uh, he went out to a great start and his momentum that he had on offense really helped the defense kind of relax because the, the first few minutes of the game kind of was back and forth, back and forth, but his poise on offense and him just looking for a shot and finding it was able to get the team to kind of settle down on defense and use that momentum to our advantage. So, uh, I want to give a shout out to him for that because I think him emerging on the offensive end has kind of really settled everything down uh, and this was a really this was a game where you really saw that especially in the first half.
2: I'm glad you brought up Grayson and and looking for a shot more. Um after the Georgia Tech game you guys remember I said you know, Grayson had taken 14 shots on the field. I said that's the most shots he's taken since the Florida State game in 2017 at the very end of the year. But it was the most shot since Florida State. Well, he upped that against Virginia Tech. He took 17 shots from the field, um, uh, you know, which, uh, again, most since that Florida State game. Uh, he's definitely looking for for his shot more. And and one other little statistical thing about Grayson I want to point out um, this is what seniors do for you when, when you know, down the stretch, late in, this, late in the season, when, when games are getting to be more and more important. Grayson Allen has hit his past 19 free throws in a row.
0: All of them big.
2: Yep. No such thing as a non-big free throw at this point in the season, I think. okay earlier last week we had
0: the privilege of interviewing a duke legend a national champion a former captain and still one of the most popular blue devils of all time yes people that's all one person so let's take you back to last week where we had a pre-recorded interview that we did with the man quinn cook
2: So now the Duke Basketball Report has the extreme, extreme pleasure to talk to a beloved former Dukie. This is a guy who scored more than 1,500 points in his career, had more than 500 assists. He was a team captain, and most importantly, the year he was the team captain, 2015, the Blue Devils walked away with rings on their fingers as they were the national champions. I am, of course, talking about none other than the great Quinn Cook. Quinn, thanks so much for joining us here on the DBR Podcast. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Quinn, just so you know, the way we're going to do this is we're, we've got a whole series of questions we want to ask you about your time in the NBA and, and uh, some questions about the current Duke team. I hope you've been watching them at least a little bit and also about t- 2015 and, and your time at Duke. And, and I'm going to hand it over. I'm going to let Donald start. Um, he wants to talk to you a little bit about, uh, about what's going on with your NBA career.
0: Hey, hey, Quinn. This is Donald, and uh, we appreciate you joining us. Um, so, we want to start with your NBA journey, and you keep getting on short stints with teams. You've been on a couple of teams, uh, but it seems like it's hard to break through in the and stick in the league. Has it been frustrating at all during your career so far? No,
3: it's my path. Um, you know, I, I always you know try to remain um, you know positive through anything, and you know take care of what I. Can take care of control what you can control, and you know, I, um, you know, I know I have a long career in the league, and I appreciate it more.
0: Yeah, you, you know, when you're, you're you're going back and forth between the league and the G League, but when you're in the G League, you've been posting some incredible stats. Most folks say you are the best player in that league. How have you improved your game uh, since you left Duke, and how is that applied to to what you're doing right now?
3: Just just taking what I learned. You know, from Coach K, Coach Capel, um, Shire, um, Coach James, Nolan, all the, all my coaches there, you know, just take what they taught me while I was there, Coach Will, our strength and conditioning coach, and, you know, I apply it to my everyday life. Oh, um, man. You know, I just see myself getting better and better just listening to what they taught me at, in college. And, uh, you know, it's my confidence just growing and then my success that I've had. Um, you know, when I had my opportunity to play in the NBA, and summer league and stuff. So, you know, with confidence and, and work, you know, um, good things can happen. So I'm just, you know, just staying positive and, you know, just trying to um stay ready for my opportunity.
0: And you've gotten to play with some of the best players in the world. You've played with LeBron James. You spent a lot of time this year with the Golden State Warriors. Does How does that been like for you this year, and do they feel different from other teams you've played for in the league? Um Yeah, definitely.
3: Um, it's a dream come true you know, for me to so have a chance to play with LeBron, um, play with my childhood friend Kevin Durant, um, learn from Steph, Draymond, uh, you know, just be in this organization. I mean, uh it's 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 a dream come true for me, having Steve Kerr as my coach, um, and having guys that I've looked up to my whole life as like, you know, teammates and, and mentors and, and big brothers to me. Um, you know, I'm just very fortunate and uh you know, I just try to be a sponge around those guys and take um you know what i learned from them and implement it into my own career
1: loved it all quinn uh this is sam i'm going to ask you a couple questions now um kind of talking about duke the first thing i want to know is have you gotten a a chance to watch this year's edition of the blue devils and um, of course kind of (laughs) what 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 do you enjoy the most about watching them and then what are the things that you see from a distance you think that that they need to improve on to, uh, to be real serious national championship contenders?
3: Um, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, it can, it be, it can be anybody's night. Um, You know, Bagley can go off a of 30 and 20 or Trent can hit seven threes. Wendell Carter can go for a crazy game. Obviously Grayson, um, Trayvon. I mean, you know, I just like, <clears throat> we have a lot of weapons on our team and uh, I think, Guys are you know been in some tough games and some rough environments and tough environments, and which will get us ready for later in the season um and I just think that you know we just you know we're gonna get everybody's best shot we're everybody's biggest game um and you know we just can't take it for granted, and you know uh, the season goes by really really fast, so we just have to um try to win every day, every practice, every film session um don't take anything for granted and I'll just take it one game at a time. And I think we'll, and we'll be nice champions again.
1: You mentioned Grayson Allen. Um he meant he said at the beginning of the season, he he invoked you as one of his key inspirations this year, being being the senior captain. Um, what kind of relationship do you have with him and 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 how have you helped him, uh, especially through some of the challenges that he's had throughout college, to to be kind of the 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 primo senior leader that he is this year?
3: Yeah, obviously, we're super, super close. Um, you know, when you play on a team with somebody, um, you get really tight with them. And then also, when you, you know, make history, you know, it's a different type of relationship. Um, and, uh, you know, through his four years and three years that I've been gone and, and, and he's been there, I've just been, you know, always wanting to support him. If I see something, I'll text him and let him know, you know, my opinion. he'll always, you know, ask me, um, certain questions and and stuff like that, and, you know, um, even when he's not playing well or or shooting well or, you know, scoring the ball, just like that he's happy for everybody. He's continuing to lead, and, you know, I think that takes a lot out of a a leader because a lot of people, you know, can be leading when stuff is going good, but it's when, you know, you're struggling, everything isn't going as planned or as well as you may think it is, and you're still, all about the team you're still as happy for your teammate as you would be yourself and uh you know i think he's doing a great job of that and you know we lost a couple games but i just think that um you know it all matters who's playing the best in march and you know this tough schedule that we've had that coach k always puts us against will get us ready you know to make a late run
2: and
1: are any of the in particular of the guys who are currently on the team is there anybody you're excited to like potentially play with or against next year when they're in the league
3: Uh, I'm definitely Bagley. (laughs) Definitely, I think he's probably the best player, you know, in college basketball, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, I just think that he can step into, you know, any franchise right now and and, and change their franchise for the better. So, you know, I know he'll have a a long and successful career, and I'm excited to play against him.
2: Uh, I want to step back in time a little bit now, Quinn, to 2015 and the national title run. What what, what was it like playing um, there at the very end of the season, the national championship game? What's your biggest memory from that big moment?
3: Um, just seeing the clock tick down, 0-0. Um, zero zero and, you know, um, during my years at Duke, especially my senior year, um, you know, myself and Coach Capel, you know, we always talked. just, you know, we never won national championship. You know, Shire won one, obviously coach. At four at the time. Nolan had one. Um, Nate James had one. And, uh, you know, and I just felt like, you know, me and Cape, you know, we talked basketball all day, every day. And, you know, he, he was close in 94, lost to Arkansas as a player, and he'd never been back as a coach. So we just became obsessed with, you know, getting back there and winning. And, you know, I literally would watch, you know, random ni- ni- 98, national championship or 2005 or 2010. And I would just watch, you know, how the team would celebrate, like what were their emotions. So the one thing that I remember was just the clock hitting zero, zero. And, you know, me replaying everything that I told myself I was going to do. I was going to find my mom and my sister and get them a hug and then find coach. And, you know, just everything I told myself I was going to do, I did. And that was really all that came to my mind. So I,
2: I want to go back even a little bit further. Talk about what the team was like, what it, what it took for you guys to turn it around in January of 2015. And, and for folks who don't remember, I'm sure you remember, we suffered a few losses that were unexpected. Rashid Suleiman got kicked off the team. Um, it seemed like these young freshmen, you know, we had all these freshmen, it seemed like they were never going to learn how to play defense the way you knew how, the way Emil Jefferson knew how to play defense. What, you know, talk about what the mindset was then. Back in January of 2015, when it looked like there was no way the season was going to end the way it ended.
3: Well, I mean, uh, the biggest thing for us was coming in, you know, to the to the summer to the season. Um, our coach K, all our coaches, especially Coach Will Stevens, our you know our strength and conditioning coach, he um, you know emphasized winning every day, Whether it was, conditioning workout, whatever it was, weights, if it was pickup, we wanted to win every day. So. You know, um, you come in with, with great talent. You have great talent coming back, and you know, I thought we got along. I think you know, it was the most genuine group that I've been around. I mean, guys, you know, wanted to hang out, you know, off the court, you know, all day long. And um, when we beat West Coast at West Coast, I knew we we had a legitimate chance of winning it all. And you know, you can start to see yourself a little bit, and you know, leading up to the NC State and Miami game where we lost two in a row, you know, coach, you know, was warning us like if we don't, you know, play better, you know, we're gonna have to lose to learn. And we had three I, I wanna I wanna say three straight games where, you know, we didn't play as well and then, you know, we lost two and uh we had to go on the road into Louisville a top ten team and beat them and we responded. And uh, you know, it it was just freshmen playing like upperclassmen. Um, you know, upperclassmen, you know, playing like upperclassmen and, and us just believing in one another. And, you know,
2: I think that's why we got it done. So one thing I wonder a little bit about is in your four years at at Duke, you saw the team transition from being a team that mostly relied on older guys to one that mostly relied on one-and-done freshmen. Uh, yeah, And lots of Duke fans talk about, you know, sort of missing – guys like you that they fell in love with over the course of four years. Do you, do you miss getting to watch Duke players stick around for a little while?
3: Well, I mean, you got Grayson now. Um, you had Emil, You had Matt Jones. Um, Marshall Plumlee was there for five. I mean, you know, they're still there, and I think that's what makes Duke so special It's you know, the older guys who sacrifice for the young guys and, and also, you know, take the young guys under their wing and, and, and show, show them the way. Um, I think that you know I was able to play with a lot of one and Duns I was also to play with some, you know, great guys who graduated: Ryan Kelly, Seth Curry, Mason Plumley, Miles Plumley, um, Tyler Thorin, Josh Harrison. I mean, all those guys who stayed for four years, you know, really implement and, and 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 show you know the world you know what Duke basketball is because you know they're under Coach K for four years. And I think you know the freshmen come in. And they uh you know, they they're so talented but they all, you know, sacrifice and buy in to, to to Duke basketball and I think that's what makes it so special and I think that's why we've been so successful. So, um it's it's a great it's a great situation that we've adapted to the one and done's and I think the one and dones who's come here, um, they learn. They learn in their um you know, short tenure here, Jason Tatum and Brandon Ingram. Um, Luke was, Luke Kennard was two years. I mean, they learn and they're obviously super successful at the next level. So um, I think the mixture is great. And I think um, it's great for college basketball.
2: Okay, so we're almost done. Again, thanks so much for for joining us and telling us about both your career and your time at Duke. Uh, It is time for the question that I ask every single former Duke player And uh, I I always ask them for their best Coach K story. We've heard some fabulous ones over the years, stories about Coach K bringing a samurai sword into the locker room and stuff like that. So it's your turn. Quinn Cook, give me your best story about your time with Coach K. I
3: think the one thing about Coach K that I don't really have a particular story, um, but he always made it about the team now. It was it was never about, you know, what he had done, what this team had done, what that player had done. Um, you know, what recruit what recruit can come in and do this. It was always about this team now. I can remember um, you know, my freshman year, my third collegiate basketball game was when he, you know, broke the record nine oh three. Um, he beat Bob Knight's record. And, you know, everybody was so happy for him. It was during the NBA lockout, so all his pros came back, and you know everything was about Coach K, and you know he had like a 30-minute segment on ESPN on SportsCenter. I mean, everything was just about him, and he was just so, so just concerned about our team. We beat a we beat a good Michigan State team, and he was just so like in the moment, like he he didn't care that he knew he would get 903. So you know he just was all about our team. And then also my last game, you know, the national championship, I can remember me saying in the locker room, you know, that's five, that's five. And he was like, no, that's one. You know, that's one for us together. And, I mean, this is the best coach you know, to ever coach basketball, and he's just always concerned about this team and the team at hand. And that means a lot to the players because, especially at Duke, you know all the success that they've had, and then all the recruits that they get, and the potential, you know, chances that that they have in the future. Um, he's always just so so consumed of, of his team now, and that meant a lot to me. I know mean, that means a lot to every other player, and that's what makes him the greatest.
2: Well, you you said it right. That was a that was a great answer, and that is a hundred percent correct. And uh, Quinn, we just appreciate so much you taking the time to chat with us here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We wish you all the luck in the world, although it seems like you don't need it. You're, you're kicking butt in the G League. I know you're getting chances with the Golden State Warriors. We are certain you're going to be a longtime professional basketball player in the NBA. Um, thanks again for joining us, and, and congratulations on all the success you've had so far.
3: Well, no problem. Thanks for having me. Have fun.
2: All
0: right. We would like to thank Quinn Cook so much for joining us and uh, we wish him luck the rest of the season because he's on Golden State. We're going to be seeing him a lot and we we really hope that he continues to thrive uh, with that team. I'm going to start with Reacts and I'm going to start with you, Jason. What did you think about the Quinn Cook interview? Give me your give me your takeaways.
2: Uh, you know, as usual, I I, I want to say thank you to these Duke players. Uh, you know, I reach out to these guys, I reach out to PR folks, and I try and see if I can get these Duke players to come on and and tell us a couple stories. And, um, you know, it's so great when they do because the insight they can give us, uh, you know, there's nothing, you, the three of us cannot match (laughs) the the, the stuff that that Quinn Cook knows about the story that stuck out to me, the thing that he said that I was like, wow, that, you know, that, that was, that was the moment was when he talked about looking at tapes of old duke teams celebrating victories and using that as a way to motivate himself when he was a senior and how you know he looked at these past games these past duke teams and he he would watch them celebrating and he said i want to be able to do that and of course his season ends with him in the ultimate celebration as a national champion. I just thought that answer, I thought that was so interesting that, you know, that's how he motivated himself. Um, I, I, I love that part of it. Sam, what was your favorite?
1: I liked the, when we asked him about the current team, how he still feels like he's there with them. And, and among former Duke players who are playing professionally, he has one of sort of the hardest Lives right now, right? is his past few years, he's been back and forth between the G league, which is not I, I don't think a very fun experience. You don't make much money. You're traveling around in a bus. You know, you're you're in the minor leagues. He's back and forth between there and the NBA. He's bounced between a couple different franchises. And through it, it seems like he's paying attention to everything going on with the Duke program. Now, obviously, there are still guys on the team, Grace Allen, I think being the only one left for him this year. But, you know, in in recent years, guys who he's played with so he's you know been been on the teams with them he's and uh so those connections are still there but when he's when he's talking about the current team you know he's like oh yeah we need to do this and we need to do that and um and it's like he's he's totally plugged in with them he knows exactly what's going on um he knows who you know he, he knows who all the good players are obviously i don't know how you could you could be a sports fan these days and not know about marvin bagley but um but I I I appreciated that. I think that it speaks to Quinn and also to the program in general, just how how tight they are with each other. And and I think that that's fun for us as fans to see because you know one of the um, sort of the casualties of, of the whole one and done era is that it feels like that the program isn't necessarily as cohesive as it was. You know, maybe back in the day. Quinn obviously is a four year player, but he feels. Like he's as invested in the program and in the school and in, and in the players and coaches as any of his predecessors, including you know guys like his friend Nolan Smith and 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 even going back earlier than that.
0: Yeah, I, I I thought that was really interesting to see how how much he knew about the team. in in when we were talking about you know what is what does this current team need to do to improve and some of that, he was offering some things that made it seem like he watches every game intently, which is. Uh, as you mentioned, a crazy thing considering what his schedule is probably like as an NBA player, much less one that's going back and forth between the NBA and the G League. But I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed his comments on Grayson as a leader. Um, and I know we even alluded to the fact that he, uh, that Grayson had pointed out he had learned a lot from Quinn, uh, in his leadership. And I thought that was really interesting that he talked a little bit about what Grayson Allen had improved on um, and, and kind of those qualities that he's seeing. And the final thing that I thought was interesting was the, the fact that when we were talking about what players uh, he would want to play with or or against in the NBA, the first one he mentioned was Marvin Bagley. Now you're thinking, yeah, that's probably an easy answer, but he basically called him a game changer for any franchise. And I think that is uh, obviously something that Marvin Bagley is probably saying that is high praise coming from a guy with the career that Quinn Cook had, and someone who's in the league and is playing with the best players in the world. To call someone a franchise game changer, that is a heap of praise for a 19-year-old. Today's podcast is proudly sponsored by two Duke alums and former roommates of Class of 78, Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird. Both diehard Duke followers and the founders of Bird Campbell PA, a Duke centric business law firm with offices in Dallas, Orlando, and the Gulf Coast. Having watched your cheered Duke football and basketball teams through close to 3,000 games, you could say they are true blue. Reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. That is B Y R D C A M P B E L L.com. If for nothing else but to say, to hell with Carolina. Okay, now that we are done with the the past, let's look towards the future. This week, we have two games coming up. First, on Wednesday, we will have a game against Louisville uh, in Cameron, a 9 p.m. tip-off on the East Coast. And Jason, I, I'm going to start with you. What can we expect to see Wednesday
2: night against the Cardinals? Well, you know, Louisville's record looks pretty impressive. They are 18-9 and nine on the season. They are 8-6 and six in the ACC. And you look at that and you go, oh, you know, These guys are pretty good, but the reality is they haven't really beaten anyone all that good. Their best wins, they they won at Florida State. They won at Notre Dame. I mean, those are decent wins. Those are not bad. They won at home over Virginia Tech, but that's kind of it for good wins. They haven't beaten anyone close to Duke's quality on this season. Now, make no mistake, they have the talent to play with Duke. They have the athleticism. They have the physical ability to compete. But I feel like their coach, David Padgett, is just a little bit out of his league. This was a team that was in the preseason top 10. This is a team who has guys who are going to be playing in the NBA. And they're in a position now where they're going to need some upsets down the stretch to even make the NCAA tourney. And and here's what I'm talking about. Their next four games, the previous game, they played North Carolina and they lost. Their next four games. The final four games of the regular season, they are at Duke, at Virginia Tech, home to Virginia, and at NC State. That's four tourney teams, three of them on the road, two of those teams among the top five teams in the land. It will not be at all surprising if Louisville goes winless the rest of the regular season and if they then miss the the, uh, NCAA tournament. Now, in terms of what the team is like, in terms of names and things like that to remember, Louisville, they're really deep. They play about nine or 10 different players, so don't think about foul trouble being an issue for these guys. Their best players are junior forward Deng Adele and senior point guard Quentin Snyder. Um, they're the only two guys in the team who really can create their own offense. Uh, Adele has NBA athleticism. There's no question about that. Uh, and he—he's his shot is pretty good from the outside, but this is mostly a guy who's, who's trying to score in the mid-range game and trying to score with his athleticism around the basket. Um, They've got a good front line. Anytime I preview a team when you're playing against Duke, uh, you have to talk about what, you know, what that team can do from a rebounding standpoint. What can it do inside? And Louisville has good front line with them. They've got a junior named Ray Spaulding who gets nine rebounds a game and almost two blocks a game. And they've got a senior, Anas Mahmoud who Duke fans should remember. He destroyed us last year. He's probably the best shot blocker in the ACC. He blocks more than three shots a game. So, uh, this is a good defensive team. This is the type of team where you look at their roster and you go, they should be able to play with Duke. But to be honest, it'd be surprising if they won this game. Like I said, they simply have not beaten anyone close to Duke's quality on this season. I think they're they're not a very good outside shooting team. And I think the new Duke's zone is going to force them to shoot a lot from the outside. And I I expect, especially playing on the road, that Lul is going to have a lot of trouble and the last thing I'll say about them, I mentioned David Padgett being a little bit out of his league. I mean, he got thrown into this job out of nowhere. Tino went away went, you know, went away suddenly. Um, it feels like David Padgett probably is coaching his final games at Louisville. I, I don't think they're going to keep him. I think that they're going to find someone else. He's just not ready for this gig.
1: The one guy that I wanted to talk about was Mahmoud because I just wanted to remind Duke fans about what he did to us last year. And uh, I'm glad, Jason, that you brought up him and, in general, Louisville's front line and their depth, because you look at like the minutes per game for for their top guys, and it's and it's lots of double digit minutes. So um, Duke's not going to be able to to kind of grind them down. I, I think that uh, they should be able to to you know match up with them size wise, but uh, I, I I do want to see um, Duke, you know figure out how to play against all those big guys for Louisville because if any of them gets in foul trouble, you know that they bring in more guys. They bring because mood doesn't start. mood comes off the bench for them. Um and uh so so they're really deep like you said. But the key of course is the coaching and uh Paget was not ready for this job. He didn't I, I don't think he necessarily wanted this job. And um you know you you kind of have to feel bad for him a little bit because he did get thrown into it. In October, it was, you know, if you'll recall right before the season started that that this whole FBI thing happened. And I know we're going to probably talk about it here a little bit more in a bit, Um, but I expect Duke to do well against Louisville. I am curious to see how we play against their size and uh, and how well that that zone defense holds up against them.
0: The one thing I noticed about Louisville that I've, I've seen them play maybe five or six games this year is they they may not turn the ball over a lot, but they just don't play smart. And, and, and I don't know how to really describe it other than, you know, late in games and there are stretches where they just make bad decisions with the basketball. They take bad shots. Uh, they, they have bad fouls or, 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 you know, they throw the ball away. They, you know, it, it's weird how they, because normally Louisville is one of those teams that they, they play hard, they play tough and the mistakes they make are, are a result of that. They're, they they, they, go after loose balls and they get fouls, but this team just doesn't seem to play well uh, together. They don't seem to play smart and that's where teams have really exposed them lately. So it'll be interesting to see how they do that against, especially against this uh, new and improved defense that we have. How do they take care of the basketball? Because if we can force them into turnovers, we're going to run them uh, pretty, pretty handily. And after Louisville, uh, we have another game coming up on Saturday night. We will also in Cameron we will play Syracuse and Sam did a little bit of digging in on the orange so Sam what do we need to do to beat them
1: so everybody keep your jackets on Uh, Syracuse is coming to Cameron Indoor on Saturday night like Donald said and uh, so Syracuse has had a, a bit of an up and down season they started ACC play pretty badly they were one and five they've now climbed back to seven and seven in conference so they're Probably on the bubble for the NCAA tournament, they are looking to get some wins down the stretch. Although they do have to come into Cameron for one of their final four games, so I would say that the on as far as Syracuse on defense, the zone is working really well for them this year. They are 11th in defensive efficiency according to Ken Palm, and I very much hope that Marvin Bagley is back for this game because both he and Carter, I think, are going to be effective zone breakers from the middle. You know, we talk about how the way to beat the zone is to have good passing out of the, the middle, out of the free throw line area. And and hopefully if you have guys who can pass in there, they're also able to shoot. Carter, I think, is going to be able to do that, especially if he's paired with Bolden underneath. Um, but I would like to see Bagley playing that role. I think that's a place where he's going to strive. And, um, you know, the, the the driving ability for Duke, especially from Grayson Allen and Trevon Duval a little bit neutralized against a really good Syracuse zone. That being said, Duke is really going to make their bones on defense in this game. Uh, Syracuse's offense is rated 109th nationally. That's pretty bad. Um, We, you know, when, when Duke's defense is bad, they're like in the nineties and we're, we like freak out about it. So Syracuse's offense worse than Duke's defense at its worst. Um, They are led by junior point guard, Frank Howard, who is not the former Washington Senator slugger. He's actually a, a, 20 year old guy um, and then sophomore Tyus battle who um, we've seen before and who I believe Duke recruited actually pretty briefly um, battle average is nearly 20 points a game and Howard um, puts in 15 and uh, and also uh, dishes out five assists a game the key here for Syracuse on offense is that they are a really bad three-point shooting team nobody on the team is shooting more than like 36 percent and the only guys on the team who really take Three pointers for them are Battle and Howard, who I already mentioned, and then their big man O'Shea Brissett. Um, they've; those are the only guys in on the team that have taken more than twenty threes this year. And between them, they are shooting thirty three percent. So the zone defense for Duke should be pretty effective against Syracuse. You know, one of the um, one of the downfalls of the zone. I talked about how you know you sometimes want to get the ball inside. The other way to beat it, and this is kind of the The trick way to beat, or is is the more obvious way to beat it, I think, um, and can work if you're really good at it, is three-point shooting. Syracuse doesn't have that, um, so Duke should be able to pack it in. I I will say, when I was kind of looking them up, I was surprised that they managed to hang 71 points on Virginia, although they lost that game. Um, But um, in putting up 61 points, um, they severely out-rebounded the Cavs, um, and that includes straight up rebounding um on the offensive glass they beat uh virginia on that end of the floor they had 13 rebounds and, and and virginia only had 12 defensive rebounds so um watching the rebounding against syracuse uh but really force them to to take three point shots get the ball out of the hands of of battle and howard not that you know they're they're so explosive offensively i think that duke should be able to to play really well against them especially on that end of the court and uh expect hopefully a pretty comfortable victory for the Devils
0: in Cameron. Um, Sam, to, yes, Jason, <laughs> I'm, I'm, Sam? I'm going to... Jason? Sam, I'm going to... No, no, no. I, I'm just going to oh. quote James Carver real quick. Um, I have no response. That was
2: perfect. <laughs> Thank Jason, you. Jason, do you have a Thank response?
0: <laughs> yeah, so
2: the, the thing I wanted to mention very quickly about Syracuse is not about this year's team. It's about Jim Beheim um guys do you do you think Jim Beheim kind of regrets coming to the a c c and I asked that because if if you look at what Syracuse was when they were still in the big east, I mean this was a team you could book them for twenty five to thirty wins every single season. This was a team that was routinely in sweet sixteens, you know uh, elite eights making final fours and they came to the ACC their first season in the ACC in 2014. They won 28 games. You know, Syracuse and hasn't and had two
1: and had two very memorable games against Duke.
2: Yes, yeah. Since that year, the past four years, they haven't won 20 games, not a single time, and and they finished eighth, ninth, and seventh in the league the past three years, and this year. It looks like again they're going to be, you know, they're going to be in the bottom half of the conference probably, or maybe right around the middle there. But you know, seventh, eighth, ninth. This is a program and and a coach, Hall of Fame coach, one of the biggest names in the business. Before he had a bunch of wins taken away because of scandal and because of the NCAA, this was the second winningest coach of all time, and since he's joined the ACC, he's just you know, he's like a – they're playing like 500 ball. He
0: absolutely uh, misses the Big East. It, you can well, see it every single game. He misses the Big East badly. That, that's, I think that's my he misses
1: – Beheim misses the Big East, but the Big East doesn't really exist anymore. If he was still playing in the Big East, um, he would not – or if he was playing in the conference that Syracuse would have ended up in had they not ended up in the ACC – he would be playing in a con he would be playing conference games against still against Connecticut but also against like ucF and 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 all these and all these the you know the football half of the big east that's now the American he wouldn't even be getting to play Villanova anymore and Villanova's in in the in the in the in the real big east as far as basketball is concerned because they still get to play schools like Xavier and Butler who are not Kind of the traditional Big East, but those are the best remaining schools. Wichita State is now in that uh, in that conference, and and those are all the good ones. And Syracuse wouldn't be playing them because. Well, w- be wait, 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 wait,
2: wait, 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 wait. I think if Syracuse doesn't, I mean, we're getting into a much larger discussion, and we're getting into what sure, if sure, sure. and such. But I think if Syracuse doesn't leave the Big East when they did, I think the Big East to some extent stays together. I think that you know the Villanova's and and those other you know basketball powers. Uh, the the traditional basketball powers of the Big East would have found a way to stay together. What happened was when Syracuse left, when BC left, uh, the, the, the conference fell apart. And so, you know, that's how this sort of these disparate other conferences came into being. But um, if Syracuse had stuck around, I I, think the Big East would have, I think they'd, they'd be playing, you know, uh, they'd still be playing good teams. Syracuse is too big a program. My, my larger point was just that they've come to the ACC and they're just not they're not anywhere close to the team that they were.
1: They're not a decade plus. I I think that some of that is their own doing. I think that some of the scandals that have been around the program the last few years, and have, I think not, you know, unlike his friend, Mike Krzyzewski has not really adapted to the times. And, and it, it kind of speaks to the challenge of, of hall of fame coaches as they get older. Um, what you do with them as it's clear that they're not keeping up. uh, And it's sort of a larger discussion. I do not envy the Syracuse fan base for going through it because it has to be so frustrating after so many great competitive years that this is what, you know, as you said, they're kind of like a 500 club Mm -hmm. now. And that's not what you think of when you think of Syracuse basketball. Um, But they got to come to Cameron on Saturday and uh, Duke should find a way to beat them um, because because like you said, they are kind of a shell of what they were three,
0: four years ago. And now we're going to get into a bit of news that has been dominating the basketball landscape for the past few days. On Thursday, a Yahoo article came out uh, basically in part detailing the updates in the FBI case against uh, uh, the sweeping federal probe into Really, the the underbelly, as they called it, of the basketball world. The NCAA violations that have plagued uh, teams like Louisville, Auburn, uh, and Arizona State. This Adidas scandal that we talked about last fall apparently is coming to a head. And according to this article, if some of these uh, major names keep uh, get leaked when all of these indictments come down, apparently is going to shake college basketball forever uh and in in this article it says it will impact and i'm quoting here it will impact every major conference hall of fame coaches a score of top current players in some of the nation's most distinguished and respected programs now obviously this has gotten everybody thinking who could these programs be and how many are we talking about the word the number 50 was thrown out and uh in this article and it, it even goes a lot deeper they even said that if it comes out in time, it's to the extent that some of these teams may not be able to play in the incidentally tournament. So I'm going to start with you, Jason. There's a lot to unpack with this article. And just really, the, the, where do you begin with this discussion?
2: Well, uh, the first place you begin is, is to point out that the FBI doesn't leak. Uh, I mean, we know uh, it's kind of amazing that, that Yahoo has this article. Um, that reporters would would have sort of the bare bones of of this scandal, but not have any names. They they we don't really we don't know anything. We have all this speculation and, and and we have you know people saying, oh, it's gonna be bad, but they can't they can't articulate exactly how it's going to be bad. They can't articulate who it's gonna be bad for. Um the 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 cases of the assistant coaches that the, um, that were caught up in this FBI scandal and this FBI sting, um, th- those assistant coaches and the such, I-, I believe go on trial. They go, you know, that, that their trials start in October. And I think as we get closer and closer to October, we're going to learn more and more. There will be filings that will be made in court and, uh, and there will be, um, uh, you know, the, well, lawyers and such will start to talk. They'll, if there are gag orders, and I'm pretty sure there are gag orders right now, those gag orders will will be lifted as we get closer and closer to, to the trial. Uh, so, but right now we're at a point where everyone's wondering and everyone's speculating, but no one knows anything. So a lot of Duke fans, I think, are concerned that we could be one of the teams that get caught up in this. I mean, when you're talking about something that, um that these sources say uh involves a hall of fame coach coaches coach K is in the hall of fame and there are not that many hall of fame coaches in college basketball right now there are guys who may get there eventually but there're not that many current hall of fame coaches um uh, and and duke has been the past few years the top recruiting school um which means we get the best guys we get the guys who everyone knows are going to be big big players in the NBA and guys like that are guys that you would think would be prime targets for for these unscrupulous agents for these unscrupulous shoe companies that that want to you know curry favor with these guys before they are multimillionaires give them a little bit of money give them you know some nice stuff and then they'll remember you when they earn the huge huge bucks so that's why I think why all the Duke fans are very concerned and worried that we could be involved in this. I'll say this, I, yeah. Sam, do you want to jump in on this? You, you've got a yeah, you I, got a thought well, on this?
1: I, I I I did want to address kind of the the Duke angle of this, and this is a, a taking some evidence and speculating <laughs> from it on my part, um, but. Former Duke uh, Director of Basketball Operations and current ESPN analyst Chris Patola um, had an op-ed, I guess you could call it, in The Athletic that came out today titled, It's Time for the FBI to Expose the Dirty Laundry. And the general thesis there is that he is excited for all of this news to come out and for the indictments to come down so that we can kind of just get all this stuff out in the open and proceed to the... Uh, the fixes that are inevitably coming to the sport. be they um, rewriting the rule book. Obviously, the programs who get in trouble are going to get in trouble this time. But it's going to kind of lay bare for maybe the more casual fans, maybe the more general sports fan population, not guys like us and probably not people even who listen to this podcast, but for the more casual observer, what really goes on in in college basketball. and the reason that this editorial, I think, is, um, is particularly pertinent to Duke fans is that I mentioned Chris Patola is a is a former staffer um, for Duke basketball. He's he's one of Coach K's sons-in-law, um, and the article is really um, is really quite bold. Uh, if you get a chance to read it, if you have a subscription to the Athletic, I recommend it. Um, but it kind of leads me to think that Duke is probably not, <laughs> at least to their knowledge, going to be named in this thing because Chris Patola is not an active member of the Duke program, but he's definitely a member of the Duke family. And it would look particularly bad if he wrote this article. And then it came out that the major program that he's most associated with is right in the middle of it. So as you point out, Jason, there aren't that many hall of fame coaches. There aren't that many teams who are currently, you know, big time national championship contenders and, um, succeeding on the recruiting trail. But Roy Williams, John Calipari, Bill self, there are, other programs out there that aren't Duke. If I was going to bet on it, you know, one way or the other right now, I would think that Duke isn't involved based a little bit on speculation from that article. I wouldn't be surprised if they are just because, you know, there's so much of this stuff going on and Duke does go after so many of these top players, but um, I'm going to throw it out there that I think the blue devil program is going to be fine, but I am very curious to see it all come out. And I also kind of want to, downplay the whole story because the as as you said the it, it is it is rare for there to be leaks from the fbi but if you really read this article between the lines there isn't a whole lot there there's a lot of speculation and no details that, and, and if, that, if yeah, the that writer had,
0: that's the key yeah
1: if the writer had provided anything i mean even if it was just one name or one program or one like very specific detail that doesn't you exactly who it is but tells you like one or two names um that would give me at least a little bit more indication that the thing is close um but we don't know um there's and i I don't want to get too political about it but there's obviously a much more high profile fbi investigation going on right now and the and there's been a lot of news out of it but it's all news that pretty much comes as the as robert muller's team is is handing out indictments not as the press is finding out news and this I think I assume will be the same way we'll find out when you know when court documents come out when stuff has to be public not when um when investigators are are leaking bits and pieces to the public because honestly there's no benefit to them to doing this they're not on the NCAA's timeline as far as like the school year or the or the tournament they're just gonna do it as they do it and um, and we'll hear about it as it happens I do think that it is a very scary thing for the NCAA because they don't control that timeline. And, um, you know, normally when when they do their own internal investigations of um, of these programs, be it North Carolina or Louisville or seems like half the ACC, they try to time the outcomes of those things around the seasons so that, you know, the, the schools get treated in a certain way and the players get treated in a certain way. The FBI does not care about that. If if they are done and ready to, to hand out indictments on March 1st, they will do it. Um, if they want to do that on August 1st, they will do it. They will do it whenever they are ready. And the NCAA has to be pretty worried about how badly their product will fail if they are forced to make all these different teams sit out right before the tournament. But we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, it, it really the 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 interesting thing about it all is it's prompted all this speculation, like a, a speculative article has prompted all of the speculation. And honestly, it, it got me thinking like, OK, if, if it's not Duke, who do I think it is? And this may be I know this is probably admittedly a bad way to describe this given current times. But my guess is if there's a Blue Blood program involved is Kentucky. And and I think if you are a program or a fan of a program in the Southeastern Conference, they're probably very worried because a lot of the initial uh, uh, filings centered around a couple of sec programs, but also, and like I said, this is probably a, a bad way to describe this, but the sec treats recruiting like an arms race. And even in football, they are always going after each other. They're always going behind each other's backs and they're trying to do everything and anything that they can to get a particular recruit, to sign a letter of intent with their school and I think that has transferred over the basketball. And and so I I would be very worried if I were in the SEC uh, because I think a lot of this is stemming from them trying to one-up each other. And in the process, a few of them have gotten caught. It might be where th- that is just the tip of the iceberg. But it remains to be seen. Jason, did you have one more thing about it?
2: Yeah, I've got two, two really quick, quick, quick points I want to make on this. The first one is – There's something that Sam said that is absolutely correct, and I want to expand on it. Sam said, when he was talking about the Chris Spatola article, he said he doesn't think that Duke believes that they are involved. Duke doesn't know that they're involved. I 100% agree with that, but I'm going to add something now. And I think that this is probably going to be the case with a lot of these programs. I think that the programs may not know they're involved, but when everything comes out, they'll find out they are. And they'll find out they are because a player or two or three or five were getting money under the table. And the, and the school didn't know anything about it. And, you know, uh, uh, the, the school didn't take part in it. The school wasn't, um, wasn't encouraging the agent or the, the person from the shoe company to do that. But I think the agents and the folks from the shoe companies were doing it on their own. So Duke may not think they're involved. But I can't say that I'll be completely shocked if it comes out that someone who's played for Duke in the past couple of years, maybe someone who's even on the team today, got money from someone and that the FBI knows about it. Because I think there's just way too much of that stuff going on for, for it not to have affected, you know, someone who came to Duke. And, you know, I'm not sure I don't I don't I'll have a tough time blaming the program if that's the case. We, we had this happen at Louisville, and, and that was different because the, the situation at Louisville where there was a recruit, Brian Bowen, who was being paid—wait, um, it wasn't Brian Bowen. What was the guy's name? That was it. It was Brian Bowen? Good. Oh, yeah. The situation at Louisville where there was a recruit, Brian Bowen, who was being paid is different because Louisville knew about it. and and apparently the FBI has tapes of Louisville assistant coaches talking about getting a payment to Brian Bowen. I think it's going to come out that there will be guys who got paid where the program knew nothing about it, and maybe it'll be Duke. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing I wanted to say was, in the long run, this is a good thing because this is going to be yet another impetus for change. People are going to look at the problems of college basketball, and they're going to say, look at how awful things are we must fix this. And that is a good thing. And I That's think, all I got.
0: And I think, and to close it out, that change is going to start at the top. Is, and I think if this comes out and it's even remotely close to what this article claims is going to be, the NCAA better start thinking about clearing house and getting new people in there who can rewrite the rule books and, and make all this right. Because if, If there's going to be a systematic change in the NCAA, the people who are currently in charge cannot be the people in charge of fixing it. Amen, brother. All right, guys. We are now at the uh, close of our our episodes, and we're going to do our normal uh, closing. First player of the week, I will start with you, Sam. Who you got?
1: I was hoping I was not going to go first because... Obviously, I am deciding between Grayson Allen and Wendell Carter. So I am going to give it to the guy who did not win any um, major awards this week. I don't think. Maybe he won ACC Rookie of the Week, but I, I I'm not, I'm, don't think he did. Anyway, he had two double-doubles um, against both Virginia Tech and Clemson. Um, was great on defense, like we already talked about. Had some really nice plays at the rim uh, at both ends of the court. So my player of the week is Wendell Carter, Jr. Jason.
2: Uh, I think it's really great that you identified Wendell Carter Jr., a guy who I've picked for Player of the Week for like three or four weeks in a row, but the guy who actually was Player of the Week was Grayson Allen, and he wasn't just Player of the Week for Duke. He was Player of the Week for the ACC and for the entire country. This past week, he led Duke in scoring. He led Duke in assists. He led Duke in steals, and Duke won every game. Grayson Allen, Player of the Week. For
0: everything that Jason just said, I'm going with Grayson Allen as well, because He was the best player in college basketball last week, and honestly, every time you saw him on the court, he was the best player on the floor. He played the best of anybody on the floor, and I think his play helped spur on a lot of the other great performances we saw from other players on the Duke team. So, Grayson Allen gets two nods, Carter gets
2: one. And by the way, Grayson Allen, welcome back, because he had been a shadow of himself for about a month, and it's nice to have you back, Grayson.
1: Two weeks in a row, he's won Player of the Week honors from somebody here at the DBR podcast.
2: We love him.
0: All right, guys. Party Shots time. I'm going to start with you, Jason. What do you got?
2: Uh, so what I got is an incredibly successful Duke team. Not the basketball team. I'm talking about Duke lacrosse. Tip of the cap to the Duke lacrosse team, which um, uh, they're ranked number one in the nation and they played the number 3 ranked Denver I don't De- Sam what where what, what is the University of Denver the Pioneers go Pios
1: that's my that's the my Den- other squad
2: the Denver Pioneers well they lost to Duke but it it really was an incredibly dramatic exciting game Drew, Duke sorry duke was trailing 12 to 8 at the end of three quarters and they absolutely caught fire in the final frame they scored seven unanswered goals uh they ended up winning the game 15 to 12 um you know the fact that they played a team as good as denver and they outscored them seven to nothing in the final quarter of the game is really impressive duke improved to three and oh on the season um a freshman a guy named john robertson led duke with four goals um our player of the year candidate justin gunder uh Gutterding scored three goals and assisted on three others huge huge win for the duke lacrosse team and um we will be following their progress. They they look like they are poised for another very memorable, likely perhaps championship season again for the Duke Lacrosse guys. Sam, uh,
1: pitchers and catchers reported this week, and uh, but it was it was snowing and extremely cold here in Denver this week. So I'm not uh, I'm not exactly ready for baseball season, but it is right around the corner.
0: Hopefully, the Tigers are going to do a lot better. This year, because hey, I
1: have I have bad news for you, Donald.
0: I no, you don't have bad news because <laughs> you're not going to say no. Because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. Anything can happen. That's right. Uh, <laughs> my parting shot. I am going to give a shout out because yesterday, uh, when I was in Asheville, North Carolina for the weekend, uh, enjoying some time with friends, uh, I got to see Black Panther, and holy crap! It is an amazing film. I hope everyone out there if you haven't seen it yet you have to see it because it is phenomenal uh i'm going to go to work i i I can give you like 20 12 million thoughts about it but i'm gonna go resident movie critic jason evans jason have you seen it yet and and am i right because the answer is yes i'm right
2: the answer is yes you're right yeah i saw a screening of black panther um uh early last week it's uh it is a unusual superhero movie in that I don't think that the action and the sort of superhero superness is what makes it such a great film. I think it's a great film because of the characters. And and I will say that I think the most interesting thing about the movie is that the bad guy, a character named Eric Killmonger, the bad guy is perhaps the most compelling and most interesting character in the entire film. And his motivations, lots of time in these movies, the, the bad guys, the villains are like, oh, I want to destroy the world. Ha 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 this guy his motivation is understandable it's well explained it makes perfect sense and even though i left the movie and i said look i don't agree with what he was doing he's the bad guy for a reason and and what he wanted to do was not a good thing i understand why he felt the way he felt and um and it's a film that has a tremendous political message i think messages about society and and some of the inherent racism that has existed um for for uh, forever uh in mankind. Uh I, I it's a it's a fascinating, fascinating film from that standpoint. I'm glad you brought it up, Donald. Um it's a, a, a and it is going to be a central touch point in the cultural conversation for years to come. You know, you know Hollywood always said, always believed that other than like the Tyler Perry films, You couldn't make a movie for black audiences and be successful. And Black Panther, they're really, everyone in the film is African, African African-American or or genuinely African, except for their two minor characters who are white. And frankly, the movie, neither one of them matter to the movie very much at all. They both could have been completely removed from the film. This is a film about the African experience, is a film about African-Americans, and the old maxim that Hollywood thought you could make a successful film like that that would that would appeal to a wide audience, Black Panther is going to have. I think it's like the fifth biggest opening of all time. It, there's no question now that the notion that a film like that can't appeal to a wide audience that 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 has been blown away. That's gone, and I'm really glad for that.
0: I, I would just say this: this this should put it into perspective that we, I, I think if people have heard my take on, on you know black history month and how this was a very important film for the black community just in the sense of it being like you said a, pre, a a black movie a predominantly black cast a black protagonist during black history month during all-star weekend which NBA all-star weekend is is one of those events for the black community that is super important on that weekend do you know what black panther has estimated to pull in on on in 3 days 235 million dollars that is uh, incredible for any weekend but to have it on a weekend where there was so much pulling that 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 black that that the black community could have put themselves into for that to happen on this weekend is nothing short of astounding and that means that not only did did the black community show up and 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 show out like i was uh at, at the movie theater But everyone else did. And that means that this movie really sold and won the hearts of all of America. And that is something that we are absolutely proud of today. And I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Again, if you like what we're doing, please leave a review. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. And we're on SoundCloud. We love reviews. We love the ratings. Keep them coming, and we really appreciate your support. If you have comments, questions, or concerns about what we're doing, please email us at dbrpodcasts at gmail.com. Of course, you can always find us on the forums at Duke Basketball Report. But for now, we are signing off for Donald, for – I'm Donald Wine, for Sam Klein and for Jason Evans. Thank you guys so much. And Duke Band, you can play us out now.